The following Dharma discourse was given by Jeffrey Shugan Arnold at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugan Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmn.org. Thank you for listening. This is from the Koans of the Way of Reality. Dongshan's How Dirty is the Water. When Dongshan first set out on a pilgrimage, he encountered an old woman carrying water. Dongshan asked if he could have some water to drink. The woman said, I will not stop you from drinking, but I have a question I must first ask. Tell me, how dirty is the water? Dongshan said, the water is not dirty at all. The woman said, go away and don't contaminate my water buckets. The commentary. The point of testing people is to know them intimately as soon as the mouth is opened. It wasn't the water the woman was plumbing the depths of, it was Dongshan. Dongshan said, the water is not dirty at all. The six ancestors said, since there's no mirror, where's their dust to alight? Both address the same principle. The water woman dismissed Dongshan, saying, go away, don't contaminate my water buckets. But tell me, what was her point? Does she have an eye on her forehead? Or is she being misled by hearsay? In the answer that Dongshan gives, there's not an atom that belongs to the holy, nor a particle that belongs to the ordinary. This is the realm of no mind. When cold, it does not feel the cold. When hot, it doesn't feel hot. The whole thing is one great gate of liberation. An ancient master said, mind is the organ, phenomena are the objects. Both are like dust on a mirror. When the defilements of dust are gone, only then does the light first appear. When mind and phenomena are both forgotten, nature and reality are the same. Tell me, how does one arrive at such a place? Uh, Dadaroshi's verse. The light illuminates the whole universe. There is no place it does not reach. If the mind moves, hindrances are sure to follow. See through all defilements, and the illness is increased. No, excuse me, cut off defilements, and the illness is increased. So here, here we are in the sort of twilight hours of our ango in our session. This collection is from a series of koans that Dadaroshi put together, never quite brought to completion or publish. But here he says, the point of testing people is to know them intimately as soon as the mouth is opened. It wasn't the water the woman was plumbing the depths of, it was Dongshan. And here in the koan, it says that Dongshan is first setting out on a pilgrimage. So we don't know, he's early in his career. And so when he said the water is not dirty at all, is he just answering in a very ordinary way? No, it looks clean. Or is he expressing something more transcendent? Dadaroshi is taking it up from this latter perspective. Both are possible. We can answer in a very ordinary way, very ordinary way, and be saying something that's actually very profound without even knowing it. 
testing to see into the mind, to see in ourself, to see into another, to see into our understanding, our actualization, to make real, to live it. When we talk about mutual polishing, what happens when we all get together and train, that's a kind of testing. Testing isn't always done intentionally. For the mind of the student, it's just what happens when we're alert and aware, and we want actually to be free. And so we are aware of all the moments when we're not. And we can say in that moment, we have been tested. And this is not a pass or fail kind of thing. It's a, I want to be free kind of thing. It's, I want to be clear, unhindered, compassionate. And when I experience moments where I'm not, that's a test, we could say, if I see it, if I respond from that place. As the Buddha said in the passage of the Prajnapadamita, if I turn that into the path of enlightenment, that's what we're being invited to do all the time, everywhere, with everything. And that doesn't just happen immediately, right? Because our dualistic mind sees things in duality. So there are avenues, there are rooms, there are compartments in which things exist and belong. And so there's a practice room and there's a whatever. (laughs) All the rest. And so to see all of that in one room, to, to take down all of those walls and see that everything that every time I meet myself, whether it's something what I, in terms of what I call inside or what I call outside, I'm seeing some aspect of my self arise. How dirty is the water, she asks Dong Shan. And so there's teachings about purity and impurity, Buddha nature, freedom from defilements, samskaras, afflictions as impurity. Remember, this is language. We're talking as a way of pointing so we can recognize something and turn our attention to it. But in that characterization of things, we have to keep remembering that 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 impurity or the purity doesn't exist in the thing we're pointing to. It's, as the Buddha said, a convenient designation. And so Buddhism, early Buddhism, has a rather profound um, sort of takes inventory of all the different ways that the mind appears, that the self appears, the mental factors, the roots and branches of all of our afflictions, our samsara, attachment, anger, arrogance, doubt, vengeance, spite, jealousy, our cruelty, our miserliness, our complacency, our agitation, our concealment, our dullness, our laziness, our lack of faith, our non-introspective awareness. These are just a few. And to think about this, you know, last night I mentioned about how we are complex beings. I mean, all of these are just particular mind states, mental states, emotional states, views. And all of them have their own particular nuance, right? Their own particular quality that we recognize. That's why there's a word for it. And this is just a few. Like all of these different 
realms that we enter into and depart from, that arise and exert influence. And then if we're not careful, we'll invade our thoughts, words, and actions, and off we go. And so when we see ourselves in attachment, in reactivity, in retreat, in in attack, we need to be able to read the signs to see that's what's happening, right? That without mindfulness, not a good chance for that to occur. So that we can actually observe, examine, take responsibility for, practice. Is the water do- dirty, she says. So what did Dongshan see when he saw the water? The water is not dirty at all. What do we see when we look at the water, look in the mirror, when we gaze at the moon? Is the mirror dusty? Is the water cloudy? Is the mind distracted? Does that mean that the mirror itself is somehow defiled, is dirty, somehow lesser than? Since there is no mirror, where is the dust to alight? So Huenung is here speaking from the, 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 the actual truth of the matter. So when we give rise to the concept of pure and impure, undefiled and defiled, complete and incomplete, there's a truth to this, and there's a, there's a, 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 a kind of uh, incorrectness to this, a kind of confusion in this. That's what Huenang is pointing to. The underlying basis of the precepts is selflessness, emptiness. There is no conflict. There is nothing to steal. There's no life to be taken. As soon as the mind string moves, heaven and hell are born. And so we practice to realize the fundamental basis of those precepts, which is our own nature, so that when we bring forth ourselves into the world, into the fray, we can do so knowingly. It's like when we walk through a stream or through a pond and stir the silt up, the water becomes cloudy. Is the water cloudy or are we just unable to see how, as Master Dogen said, the silt and the water are walking together? co-rising, each appearing in its own natural state, in accord with conditions. You just walk through the water. When you get out, the dust seems to settle. The water seems to return to a state of clarity. But was it not clear before? Or were we just not able to see its clarity? Because the dust made it difficult. When anger, arrogance, doubt arise within our body and mind, has our Buddha nature become tainted, impure, dirty? Or have we confused that emotion as something like a cloud, like a veil? Or have we confused it for the thing itself, whatever we're looking at? It might be ourselves. And so that question I brought forth from the Prajnaparamita. How does the Bodhisattva stand? How do we practice? And so we raise bodhicitta, the aspiration, 
to become clear about all of this. We study, we acknowledge the reality of dukkha. We face sadness and disappointment, dissatisfaction and guilt. We turn towards the things we might before have not turned towards. We face what we've not faced before. We bring out into the light what has been hidden. And part of it is that we have to actually allow as that Buddha nature, as all of our unburdened qualities of the Bodhisattva begin to come forth, we actually have to allow them to come forth. We don't always. Right? Even though that's what we're hungering for, striving for, working to cultivate when they actually begin to come forward. Sometimes we're startled, we become anxious. That's not me. I don't know how to be that person. I don't deserve to have that in my life. And unconsciously or consciously, we might turn to back towards retreat, pick back up the stuff of our habits. And so that's why it's a long path and sometimes a difficult path. And sometimes people will come in and say, you know, it's getting harder. I thought it was supposed to get easier. And I said, what you're calling getting harder, is it, is it getting easier? <laughs> this is what getting easier looks like. <laughs> for now. For now. I mean, I remember sitting in this Zendo thinking those thoughts and thinking, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this. This is hard. And then realizing, but wait a minute, it was hard before. And it was hard in a whole different kind of way. Before there was a way. Before I could see and have some understanding of what I was seeing and what to do. That was hard. And then I realized, this is not that hard. This is not that hard. But in all of this, are we purifying what is impure? Are we cleansing what is dirty? I thought of one of the women ancestors we chant, Kongshir Dauren. She could have been this woman carrying water, except she ran a bathhouse at a monastery. And Dongshan would have have to have been over 200 years old, so (laughs) probably not her. They did live a long time back then. But she did. She built a bathhouse at the base of a monastery, and she wrote this teaching. She said, if there's even a speck of dust, from where does it arise? If you produce a single profound phrase, then everyone can come in and bathe. The most the ancient holy ones can do is scrub your back. When has a bodhisattva ever illuminated anyone's mind? If you want to realize the stage beyond impurity, you should sweat from every last pore of your body. It's said that water is able to wash away impurities, but how do you know that the water itself is not also dirty? Even if you dissolve the distinction between water and the dirt, when you come in here, you must still be sure to bathe. She was born in the early 11th century into a well-to-do family, well-educated, intellectually gifted. She was very serious and drawn towards 
the Buddha Dharma very early in her life, but at that time she was not in control of her life, the outer part of it. So she was given away in marriage to a, somebody in the court. It said that she didn't like that at all, and she left her husband, went back to live with her parents, wanted to be ordained, but her father wouldn't allow it. So she spent the next few decades being with them, and she tried to live as much as she could as an ordained person, as a nun. She meditated every day, fasted, wore simple clothes, studied the Dharma. Then when her parents died, she was then beholden to her brother. So she asked him if she could ordain, and he also refused. So she went to live with him. When she was 61 years old, he died. All of that time, while that outer part of her life was not her own to make her choice, the inner part belonged to her. All that time, that way-seeking mind was strong and active, And so at that point, she knew what she wanted. So she went to study with a a master, Sijin Wujin, as a lay student. And he saw her potential and started to really teach her in a very deep way. She progressed swiftly and eventually came to an awakening, which he he, he approved or affirmed. And so then she moved to the monastery, a monastery, and built a bathhouse and put up a painting of Ling Jiao, and Layman Pong on the wall. <clears throat> it said she wrote a, a, a teaching, I couldn't find it, maybe it's not been translated, that she sent to her teacher and was, became well-known. It was sent around, there were lots of commentaries on it. So she became wide, quite well-known and eventually left the bathhouse, became ordained, and spent years teaching. Had many students, both monastic and lay. And I thought her teaching here worked very nicely with this dialogue of the woman carrying water in Dongshan. If there is dust, where does it arise? Where was it before you noticed it? When it arises, it seems so real. That's why the simile of the dust on the mirror is appropriate. The mirror only knows how to reflect perfectly. That's its nature. That's what it does. It doesn't comment. It doesn't judge. It doesn't favor one over one image over another. It just perfectly reflects like the mind of samadhi. And yet there's dust, and you can see it. You can wipe it off. So there's something there that can't be denied. And so that's an image or a metaphor for what we seem to what we experience in our mind. All the accumulations that arise and, and layer, create that veil, are that cloud that prevent us from seeing clearly, responding compassionately. But if it's so real, what is the nature of that dust? Where was it before the moment that we, we became aware of it? In hiding somewhere? Where did it go when it passes, as it always does? Does it go to the place where dust lives? <laughs> does it live somewhere waiting to come out, just, you know, poking its head up, waiting for the right moment when we're off guard? Does it come on its own? Does dust have its own mind? Is it willful? Of course, these questions seem kind of absurd, except they pretty much match our experience that in the moment before, it wasn't here. Now it's here. It just came in through the door. 
And I see you. I feel you. You are in my body. You are affecting me. I feel the weight. It might be a sharp point. It might be a chaos. There's something there. It wasn't there before. And then, at some point, it goes. Now, where did it go? And its effect may linger, but eventually it passes. So what is that? Because it seems to have those qualities of being and coming and persisting and going. That's why there are so many teachings about coming and going. The Buddha is the thus come one, the one who comes and goes thus. Not as we misperceive. We can't say that we don't experience it. What is it that dims our light, that closes our heart up, that makes it hard to see, makes it hard not to react impulsively? If we say it's not real, then why does it have so much power? If we say it is real, then how is it real? So that's where in the Zen teachings, many teachings, but particularly in the Zen teachings where metaphors and images and similes and poetry and, you know, rather than just explaining and sort of didactic teaching, we have to enter into it and realize what's being brought up here, right? As, as Dada Roshi says, this, she's not, she's not, it's not about the water. That's not her concern. When the student says, what's the true Dharma? And Zhao Zhou said, oak tree in the garden. It wasn't about botany, right? Zhao Zhou knows the tree is fine. But we relate to the tree and every single thing in the world. And often not well. So what's going on? And so, Kongjur says, if you produce even a speck of dust, a, I'm sorry, if you produce a single profound phrase, then everyone can come in and pay. So if you can say a word, illuminate what has not been seen clearly, go beyond the ordinary view, free ourselves of all attachments, then, then everyone can come in and pay. In fact, we'll realize everyone has arrived. When we free ourselves, we realize that everyone is free. That's what Dada Roshi meant when he said, if we want to save other beings, we have to be prepared to be saved ourselves. They happen at the same moment. When the Buddha is said to have said, between heaven and earth, I alone am the honored one. I alone am the honored one, alone, full, all-inclusive, everyone. Everyone is here, is the same, is Buddha, is the moon. And yet, some moons shine bright and full. Some are crescents, like our birthing moon, if you saw it in its glory this morning. Some are hidden in clouds. Some moons are hidden in clouds. Some moons are just starting to emerge from the cloud, and then they go behind the cloud again. And then they emerge, and then they go behind the cloud again. 
Some moons know that they're moons. Some moons have little faith in moons altogether. And some moons never look up and see that there's a bright moon right there. And all the while, as Dogen said, in the midst of the Buddha Dharma, we are the same way, the same Dharma, the same realization, same practice, same moon, same delusion, same enlightenment, born the same, the teachings say, but we die differently. That's why when I encounter students who are struggling, I don't worry so much. Often I don't worry at all. <laughs> I would say most often I don't worry. As my teacher did not worry about me. Not because I don't take their struggle seriously, not because I don't know how difficult it can be within the midst of a struggle and real. Like pulling your skin off real. I know that. But I don't worry because here you are. Hallelujah. It's when we see somebody struggling and there is no path, no way, no sense of a possibility, no desire to look, no no refusal to accept that this is all there is. That I worry about. Master Dogen said in Genjo Cohen, those out, or in Mountains and River Sutra, those outside the mountains do not sense, do not know. And I really like that he said, do not sense. Those outside the mountains obviously do not know, but do not sense. They don't have a sense. Just like when we ourselves were outside the mountains before we came into practice and did not know, do not know, but have a sense. We sense something. Something else, something more, some possibility. This is not all there is. I'm just not buying that. And that sense is full of possibility. And yet we have to Respond. We have to respond to that. Not everyone does. For some it takes a long time, for some it's never. We have to respond. That's why Kongshur says the most the ancient ones can do is scrub your back. When has a bodhisattva ever illuminated anyone's mind? Sitting right there on your seat is the one you need to illuminate your mind, to open your heart. And we all need our back scrubbed, right? There are places that are hard to reach, <laughs> right? They're blind, we can't see them, right? We don't see them, how are we gonna scrub them? So we need somebody to come along and scrub that place we can't see. <laughs> it's like the Buddha said, it's like a raft. We need a raft, but we also should know that the raft and the oar, and the water, and the paddling. It's all you. It's all me. True, sometimes that raft will appear as a teacher, as the eight gates of practice, as a teaching, as a shin, 
as a sutra, sangha friends, companions. But all of those, consciously or otherwise, are there for one purpose, to bring us back to our original place, to help strengthen our faith in the one who is with, cap- with capacity. They are all there to help us produce a single profound phrase so we can finally invite everyone to come in and bathe. She says, if you want to realize the stage beyond impurity, you should sweat from every last pore of your body. Does it really need to be that hard? Does it really need to require that much effort? You find out. You find out. What is the effort that's required? This sweat is wholeheartedness. It's putting the fire out on top of your head. It's let me respectfully remind you. It is raising bodhicitta and living bodhicitta. It is practicing compassion when your heart is cold. It's practicing patience when you're irritated. It's being generous when you're feeling miserly. It's being mindful when you're distracted. And for some, it's being confident and bold when anxious. Dogen said, although Buddha Dharma is immeasurable, it's practice in accordance with one's capacity. After all, who is unable to take up the boat or shore over and over? Who can not see the cloud or moon? Immediately, he said. You know, we, with some justification, believe that we have to build up a kind of pool, a reservoir, a bank of practice, of merit, of samadhi, of just time put in before we can realize our capacity, realize the moon. And the reason there's some justification for that is because much of the time that's the way it works, but not all the time. There are people who have seen their true nature without ever meditating, out of ever practicing, don't know anything about Buddhism. But that's an experience. Can they then live it? Do they understand what it is they've seen? Can they cultivate, build upon that, deepen it? That's what the raft is. But does any of us know what our capacity is? We can say it's boundless and be correct. We can also say that there are many moments where we are meeting the edge of what seems to be our ability to, and you fill in the blank, Concentrate, be patient, not be restless, be wholehearted, care. Gomshur said, it's said that water is able to wash away the impurities. But how do you know that the water is not also dirty? So what did she mean when Dongshan said the water is not dirty? And she says, go away. You're contaminating my water buckets. And Adaroshi sort of brought out the depth of Dongshan's statement. That there's not an atom that belongs to the holy or a particle that belongs to the ordinary. This is the realm of no mind. When cold, it does not feel the cold. When hot, it does not feel the hot. 
because not because it is numb or distant, but because it is alone and full and all-inclusive, and there is no gap. But I would say that the woman, and I would say that the woman, might have the upper hand here. Go away and don't contaminate my water buckets. We don't know what Dongshan did with that. He continued his pilgrimage, we know that. Maybe this was a little kick along the way. Being early in his pilgrimage, maybe he walked away thinking, what? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what a good student does. They chew on it. They chew on it. They're bothered by it. It bothers the mind. Can't just let it go. What did she mean? What was she talking about? What was she seeing? I looked at the water. It was clear. What did she mean? I was contaminating it. How? That that discomfort is essential to be able to live with. Dawei said, don't just live with it. Put it right here on the end of your nose. So you don't lose sight of it. It's what in Zen tradition we call the great doubt. Ogun Sensei talked about inquiry. And that inquiry can show up in a, a lot of different ways. It can show up as a fierce burning. It can show up very quiet, very subtle, but with force. Right? Nobody comes here because there's nothing going on. <laughs> right? So when a person says, I don't, I don't know what is moving me. I don't know what my question is. That may be just what they know at that time. But unless you just completely took the wrong exit, (laughs) right? And somehow came to think this was the resort, the spa you were looking for. (laughs) Not what you expected, but, you know, the people are nice. (laughs) There is something there. Mm -hmm. It is said that water is able to wash away impurities, but how do you know the water is also not dirty? Even if you realize the distinction between water and dirt is an illusion, is a matter of speech, is not you, still, you have to bathe. There is that. So even though we realize the dust has not come from or gone to anywhere, that it does not have its own power, its own being. When it is on that mirror, we can't ignore it. So as this ango comes to a close, because tomorrow is the Shuso's and the Sangha's day, right? I don't quite take the day off, but... just keep my seat warm because it belongs to the Shuso and the Sangha and to really you know, reflect on what is peaceful dwelling right? Ango could have meant long and hard journey right? but that's not what our ancestors decided to how they decide to characterize this period of training. 
No, it's a peaceful dwelling. The Buddha's true Dharma body is as it is open sky. Your true Dharma body, in response to things, forms appear like magic, wondrous. Sometimes they're frightening and horrible. And sometimes they're sublime and steal your breath away in response to things. And thus is the moon and water. Your Dharma body, my Dharma body, the Dharma body of every living creature, may we continue and realize this. You know, if you think about how could you possibly imagine or measure all of the moments of people, human beings, sitting in a hall like this, sitting on a cushion, or out in the, in the woods, in the forest, in the caves, on the mountains, in all kinds of weather, in all kinds of states, of state and government, of health, and illness, wars, and peace. The Buddha Dharma has continued through all of human beings, samsaric activity, and persisted and continued, and there have always been people, whatever the circumstances, who knew that for them the most important thing was the most important thing. And so we are honored, I think, to be a living part of that, this tradition, having received these gifts. So this is our time. Let's use it well. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.